I'm, I'm going to be really real. Like, there's nothing about it to me that makes any particular sense. <laughs> like, I'm the clown. And I was like, why did I? And like, when I started watching, I was like, this is not a good show. Like, why did I suggest this? And I was like, oh. And as I started watching it, I was like, oh, because like Ben McKenzie is in it. And also because like James Frain is in it. And then like Milo Ventimiglia shows up. And I'm like, it's all my favorite people in this horrible show. is in it too. Yes, yes. And then Jada Pinkett Smith is in it. It's because all my favorite people are in it. And I was like, that's why. And But I don't know if it was worth it. I don't feel... <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Hello, everyone. This is Alex. And this is M. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is a podcast for TV lovers, movie buffs, and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we loved, what we hated, and what's just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to, and do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, Become a show producer over on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Today we're discussing the Fox original crime drama Gotham, based on the popular DC comic series Gotham Chronicles, the early career of a young Jim Gordon as he battles the seedy underbelly of crime in his beloved but very corrupt city. It also takes us into the formative years of a young Bruce Wayne prior to his reign as Batman. This series was ambitious, but did the risks pay off? Stay tuned. All right, everyone, here are some critical details about Gotham. The series is classified as a crime drama, action, and superhero series. It was developed by Bruno Heller, and it's based on the various characters of the DC Entertainment comic universe and the Batman franchise by DC Comics. The series was released from September 22nd, 2014 through April 25th, 2019 on the Fox network for a total of five seasons and 100 episodes. The series stars Ben McKenzie as James Gordon, um, a Gotham City Police Department police detective, a.k.a. the last honest man in Gotham. Donalogue as uh, Gordon's ethically conflicted partner. You guys might remember him from the Fox series Grounded for Life. Dave Mazuz as Bruce Wayne, the orphan child who would later become Batman. Sean Pertwee as Alfred Pennyworth, Bruce's butler slash guardian. Robin Lord Taylor as Oswald Cobblepot, the penguin. Aaron Richards as Barbara Keane, initially Jim Gordon's fiance. Cameron Bicondova as Selena Kyle, aka Cat. She is the Catwoman. Corey Michael Smith as Edward Nigma, aka the Riddler. Morena Baccarin as Leslie Tompkins, aka Lee. She is a confident and surrogate guardian to Bruce, and later his medical ally as Batman. Cameron Monaghan as Jerome and Jeremiah Valeska. Uh, he plays twin brothers who were adapted by Bruno Heller specifically for this series in order to give us a Joker origin story because Heller was unable to use the Joker character directly. Um, Jerome is a cult leader who spreads anarchy, and Jeremiah is the quiet, observant mastermind. Sabrina Guevara as Sarah Essen. She is a GCPD police captain. John Doman as Carmine Falcone. He is the powerful and ruthless mob boss, enemy of Batman, but ironically enough, friend to the Wayne family. Jada Pinkett Smith as Fish Mooney. This is another character created by our um, developer, Bruno Heller. Uh, She's an amalgam of the Norma Desmond character from the movie Sunset Boulevard and the real life drug lord Griselda Blanco of the Midland Cartel. 
Uh, she's uh, Fish Mooney is Carmine Falcone's most trusted lieutenant, who, unbeknownst to him, is plotting to seize control of his empire. Drew Powell stars as Butch Gilzian, a.k.a. Cyrus Gold, a.k.a. Solomon Grundy. He is Fish Mooney's right-hand man and, a, and mob enforcer. This character later is mind-controlled to obey Oswald Cobblepot. Last but not least, Nicholas D'Agosto as Harvey Dent, a.k.a. Two-Face. There are lots of other characters, but these are the top picks of our major players. As I said before, this a laundry list of the characters from the DC Universe and the Batman franchise at least make an appearance, but these are the people that will have the greatest impact on the plot. So let's get into it. Uh, this episode will be discussing the first two seasons. Let's talk about season one. 22 episodes. It's Fox, and they come out the gate strong. And, you know, cop series based on comics were having a bit of a moment. So yeah. I... I think they knew. I think they knew the show would do well. I think that show they knew the show would get renewed, so they gave it twenty two season episodes right out of the gate. Out of the gate, and it was like so. And I think this is part of why I, I stupidly <laughs> put Gotham on our list. Um, I I knew it was it was a huge hit for Fox. It was it was it was a huge hit for Fox. It was what the high. It was at the time. It was the highest rated show on the network. It was very popular. Lots of people really loved it. Um, Gotham was at a time when uh, putting comic books on television was not necessarily new, because obviously the OG is like Smallville, right? But um, who kind of birthed these girls? But it was definitely at a time where. Uh, it was done to capitalize off of the success of um, other properties that were really pushing these networks forward um, by reinventing these characters and looking at trying to look at these properties in new ways. Like, you know, we're coming off of, I think, I think Gotham was in response to, I think, um, the Marvel stuff on Netflix uh, that was doing very well at the time. It was also a response to The Flash and uh, those DC properties, which, I mean, by now have consumed the CW. Like, I feel like it's not wrong to say that the CW now is just the DC extended television universe. Um, so Fox wanted in on all this sweet, sweet comic book money. And, uh, they were like, hey, Batman, everybody loves Batman, give me an IP and somebody, and, well, not somebody, Bruce, you said his name is Bruce. Yeah, Bruno, Bruno Heller delivered. And here we are. Mm -hmm. I will say one thing I loved about the show is his use of uh, Cameron Monaghan as Jerome and Jeremiah, because it's very clear who they're supposed to be. It's a Joker. It's a Joker. Right. A we Joker. don't really know which one goes on to be the Joker, but it's clearly the Joker. And this is how you find yourself a loophole. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Fox is really doing it. <laughs> I'm not even mad at him. Because honestly, if there wasn't a Joker or Joker-esque character, we wouldn't have watched it. Period. <laughs> so he had to make it work with within the confines of the boundaries that he was given. And he did. He did. And that's one of the more Jeremiah and Jerome are some of the more interesting characters on the show. I will say this about Gotham, even at times that I thought the show was slow, and other times I felt like the show was doing entirely too much. I do feel like every single character cast on the show was very well cast, and that's mm -hmm. saying a lot when you have such a huge ensemble of people. And and yes, I mean, yes, I'll give it that. Um, I think another reason why I picked Gotham is that, like, this was essentially Ben McKenzie. First of all, you know, because of the Ben McKenzie nostalgia, but this was also Ben McKenzie's second time leading a show. And because even. Yeah. Yeah. Same network, too, but this was the first show he's had since the OC. OC, yeah. When, when he, he was left like the OC, the I think he did a few independent films, but he never did another TV show. Um, he, did. Then, he did. He did. Um, yeah, he did Southland. Girl, did we watch? Did anybody watch that? 
I watched it because Regina King was on it. <laughs> okay, okay. Shout out to the you know fifty people who watched. <laughs> we love you. We appreciate y'all. Um, and I mean, Ben McKenzie can act. We already knew this, right? But this is a very different role from Ryan Atwood. Um, I really felt that he did have the persona. To play a Jim Gordon, though, because that very long-suffering, tortured, I'm trying to help everybody around me, but I can't type persona, we see it a little bit in Jim, too. The city's corrupt as hell, and oftentimes, even he thinks, like, am I even making a difference? (laughs) Right, right, right. And, um... And so, yeah, so then that's where the, at least for me, this series is confusing. So maybe, so to me, at least when I heard the initial concept of it, that like, this is, the show is going to be primarily focusing on Jim, Commissioner Gordon, and, um, and I guess the, the road to how they get, how Gotham gets the Batman in my mind, like, to me, in my mind, it made sense, because I was like, oh, I get it. Like, Fox is gonna want, like, a police procedural, right? Mm -hmm. But then they're just, like, dressing it up in this IP. So it's gonna, it's basically gonna be, like, a police procedural, which, like, you know, it's gonna be, like, a Law and Order SVU, or, like, an elementary, or um, an NCIS, but like make it comic booky. Like, sure, fine. That sounds and and then you know that sounds fun. That sounds fine. That Gotham is not that. That's wrong. That was wrong. I was wrong. 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 So wrong. It is. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a little bit. Uh, well, it's a lot of bit. James Gordon backstory. Yeah, uh, a lot of it. Focusing on the elements of crime, which I like. I'm not going to lie, I like that. Okay. The crime elements of Gotham with a sprinkle of Bruce Wayne. And honestly, I messed with that. I was like, oh, okay, we're going to get James Gordon's backstory. It's going to be cute. It's going to be, but I feel like the sheer volume of criminals was a bit of a distraction. <laughs> I, I, yes. And then also, like, I felt like I didn't understand. You know, I think what's hitching me on it is, like, I felt like I didn't understand what the show was want, wanted to be. Like, that's mm-hmm. definitely something that kept tripping me up throughout the run of this, just the seasons in general. Like, because because that's the thing. It's like, because the show is like, oh, well, yeah, it's about Jim Gordon, but also these children. And I'm like, fuck these kids. Like, I give a fuck about these Child, kids. We do not care. We've been trying, we, they've been trying to make us care about these kids for how many comic volumes now <laughs> so many we do not care and I i'm sorry <laughs> how that sounds we do not care i really wanted a show about commissioner gordon and like my top favorite criminals like i could have done without carmine i could have done without fish mooney like i wanted the penguin i wanted the joker i wanted the riddler and maybe if i were feeling spicy throw killer croc in there i really didn't care about the rest the riddler could make guest appearances it's fine <laughs> and then and i think that was the and then so then that's the next thing is that like i don't mind and i i like the idea of like the origins of the pen, of penguin is actually um, fine to me, mm-hmm. but where I, but what tripped me up is that I think the performances, and this is true, and what I'm about to say about Penguin is also true for the 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 Riddler who eventually comes in mm-hmm. to the show, is that I felt like I was watching actors mimic better performances of these characters. Ooh, like I can see that. I just I I was like, like I I do like I felt like I was watching, like for Penguin, I felt like I was watching somebody try to like recreate Danny DeVito's like you know iconic, iconic performance, and that's this and that's exactly also how I felt with Riddler, like that somebody was trying to do was trying to imitate 
Jim Carrey, but like Jim Carrey cannot like you're you're not Jim Carrey, sweetheart. Don't do it. <laughs> like you're, like you will never be Jim Carrey. I'm torn because if you're gonna imitate a Riddler performance, Jim Carrey's is it, right? If you're right. gonna imitate a penguin performance, Danny DeVito's is it. Like Danny DeVito's penguin is literally like the only reason why I rewatch that. Like Danny DeVito's performance as a penguin and Michelle Pfeiffer's performance as Catwoman are the only reason why I watch that Michael Keaton Batman. The right. only reason. So right. if you're gonna go there, go there. I get it. But like Alex said, like, do you have it in you? <laughs> do you? And it and this was it was just like, and I and I think the and it was just unfortunate to watch. It was just unfortunate to watch. Like, and I because the answer really is to it was yeah it, and it's not that like you can't turn in good perform like i guess the the answer is that like a skilled uh, a more skilled more skilled actors would have turned in better performances because i feel like not i feel like i do think that it's happened right like nobody's michelle pfeiffer but i would never say that anne hathaway's did not turn in a good performance cuz she did like you know she she found a way into that character that was just as interesting and i think well executed um just in a different way but like these people couldn't do that <laughs> these i and i don't know if i blame and listen Part of me, but you know what? I don't entirely blame them because I don't think they knew what the show was supposed to be. I don't know if they, when Ben McKenzie plays a very serious James Gordon, but the way that some of the other characters are played in some areas almost feels a bit slapsticky. And that, yes, that was going to be my next point about this show in, in regards to that this show didn't know what it wanted to be because I was like, there are a lot of times where. Like, like you said, like Ben McKenzie is playing it very straight, but the, but the world of the show and, and I do mean the world of the show, along with a lot of the filmmaking, like there's a lot of time and particularly in this first season and, and honestly through the run of the series is that there will be, um, in the filmmaking character, like actors will be put in a perspective that feels like a lesser version of like the fish islands mm. and like where like their foreheads are like really close to the camera and, yeah. and it feels really and it's wacky like you know like it is so i'm like wait a second is it trying to be slapsticky are we trying to be wacky and goofy because that's a choice that i would have rolled with because i think that's the strength of dc anyway and maybe slapsticky is a bit harsh i don't think they were trying to be that funny but so many times i'm like is this a serious drama or is it like one of those comedy dramas like i don't know, like a train spotting or something yes yes and i was con that i'm confused exactly that's how i felt i was like this show doesn't I was like, who, I, I mean, I wanted to be like, who's in charge here? Like, I, what's going on? Like, what, and, and that's why I'm saying, like, I kind of don't want to blame anybody because I feel like, because it was to the point where I felt like there's a lot of different competing interests here. Mm -hmm. Whatever was right. happening behind the scenes, I feel like the creator felt one way, the the creator showrunner probably felt one way, the network felt another way, and then like, you know, producers felt another way, and all of these things have come together to to turn in this. And this yeah, is I feel like everybody thought they understood the assignment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when I, when everybody thought like I'm killing it. And maybe they were. If you know, when when they're like when they're in a scene where their character is the dominant in the scene, it looks good, it feels good. But when there's more than one character on screen, there is an inherent conflict of I'm doing something that's not in alignment with whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like when some, sometimes when two characters occupy the same space in the scene, it feels like they're from two different shows. Right. 
and that's that's a real problem because I feel like the way that Ben McKenzie portrays Jim Gordon is very good. It's the what what I would prefer because it's what I'm used to. It's what I grew up with in all iterations of the Batman franchise, right? Um, right. But the people that they had did not match. And I think although he's just one character, it would have been better for them to match him than for him to match them. Yeah, I mean, and that's and I think and that's the crux of it. The show, the like the show needed to decide, essentially. Like, do we wanna be kind of train spotty? Like, do we wanna like really lean into this inherent DC like sort of heightened reality slapsticky sort of vibe and like you said slapstick isn't necessarily the right word but like it is like but a, definitely like a lighter more comedic more like less serious tone or do we want to go full dark night and make this like a gritty crime drama and the show could not decide and y'all could have given me dark night i would have eaten it up same. And I would have chain spotting, and I would have eaten it up too. Here's the thing, though: if you're gonna go that route, I don't think you should introduce a character like Jim Gordon because he's an he's an innately very serious person. If you're gonna give us a Jim Gordon, he cannot be the he cannot be our lead. He cannot be our protagonist. But if you're gonna give us like a chain spotting type vibe, and you want to give us a Jim Gordon, he needs to be a secondary character, or he's someone who joins the cast late. Right. That way it makes sense. And we're accustomed to the characters that are already at play. But let's talk about this first season. In this first season, James Gordon is a rookie detective. And he's got this partner, Harvey. And they're investigating the murders of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Um, Bruce Wayne's parents who um, uh, were killed. And uh, this, their murder was witnessed by Selena Kyle. Um, apparently that's the one thing that they never solve, right? They never find out who it is that killed Thomas and Martha. Um, but this kind of steamrolls the whole Batman origin story and James Gordon origin story and how they're kind of interconnected and how basically this is why Bruce Wayne has been able to emotionally blackmail Jim Gordon into allowing him to become a vigilante because Jim feels bad that he never caught the person who killed Bruce's parents. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens, which I mean, that's a lot, but okay. It's a lot. It, there's a lot, lot going on. Um, they have some of our favorite characters. We meet the penguin in that very first episode, we meet Selena Kyle, who become Catwoman in that very first episode. All of the the villains that we know and love are here, except the Killer Croc and the Scarecrow. Everybody kind of makes an appearance. Um, at this point as well, Jim is engaged to Barbara. That engagement is later broken off because Jim becomes very fixated with his work. And that's another thing we know about the Jim Gordon character is that his work always comes first. He's overworked. And unfortunately, nothing he does makes a, a real dent in the crime because nobody else is working like him. There's actually a lot of corruption within the GCPD. What, so like the real police? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. It's a really accurate representation, honestly. I was about to say, I the one thing I did appreciate is like, oh, this feels like really accurate to what the police actually do and are as an entity. Right. Like he just be working and working and working. And what does it matter when there's someone right beside you directly undermining all of your efforts? It doesn't. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, but yeah, we have a bunch of street kids, um, you know, Selena Kyle included, and that becomes a whole thing. But it's like you said, like, why do we care about these kids? Um, let us see them actualize into who they're act going to become. I really don't care about these orphans at this point when we have like real adult criminals to deal with. Why aren't they taking center stage? Yeah. And that's, and I think that's another like conceit or I think kind of 
problem. No, I don't want to keep saying problem, but definitely like another hitch with the show to me is, is that like, yeah, I don't care about these villains until they're actually villains battling out Batman. Like, like why is... Like, I don't care about little kids with no family stealing so that they don't go hungry. That's not a real crime to me. <laughs> Yeah, same. It's like I don't, I don't hate that. Like, there's nothing that that matters to me in that. Um, I mean, and and I guess like that is the difference between the Selena, Kyle, and like um, Selena and Ivy. Who I don't. It doesn't make sense that Ivy is an orphan because her origin is always that she has she's come from like a really wealthy family. So that didn't make any particular sense to me, but. Yeah, it's really weird because there's actually already orphans in the Batman narrative. Selena Kyle was an orphan. Oswald Cobblepot was abandoned at birth. Like, we don't. Why are we making creating orphans just for a plot? Yeah, just for a plot. That doesn't make any sense. But there is something. I mean, but I will say, like, Penguin, or at least watching Penguin, sort of. I I don't, I don't think it's an accident that. Penguin being aged up as much as he is was made his um, storylines less annoying. Yeah, I agree with that. I um, agree with that. Yeah. I really felt like they could have aged up everyone except for Catwoman and Ivy as well. Um, right. And the Joker. We can keep him the same age, but everybody else, I don't understand the point of having them be uh, children and teens um, going in. It doesn't do anything to propel the narrative. It just congests it, in my opinion. Same. It congests it, and it makes... And for me, at least, it makes for confusing viewing. Um, I felt like every time I got attached to Jim's story and I think his struggles, I had to, like... They would cut away to, like, Bruce and Alfred doing things, and I'm like, I don't care. We've had stories ad nauseum about how Batman became Batman and how he trained and Alfred and Lucius Fox, um, you know, had him under tutelage. Why do we need more? Yeah, why do we need more? And and I don't, and it's not even that I, because Lucius will appear later, right? Mm-hmm. And I actually really like the idea of Lucius and that, and I remember that like in, we'll talk about it later, but their sort of partnership or like Lucius joining the force was interesting to me or, and, and Alfred sort of having a dialogue with Jim Gordon, like was interesting to me as well. Cause, um, like you said, I, like, I think you said before, it strengthens this canon of why, you know, Bruce eventually when he's older is able to sort of emotionally blackmail Jim. It's because like, well, these were sort of your parents, like you're, but like, I can understand that without ever having to see them do actual parenting. And I don't, I didn't really need it. Right. Right. Exactly that. Um, like, I don't need to get the flashbacks to understand why a boy who's what 12 is going to be like traumatized that his parents were killed. Like anybody <laughs> with a modicum of empathy understands this. Right. Um, and I can understand the position Jim's been put in where it's like, well, we wouldn't have all these criminals in the streets. Um, and I wouldn't be, you know, emotionally fucked up if you'd found out who killed my parents. Mm-hmm. I can understand that mindset. Um, and again, this is just Jim being a very honest person. Anybody else would have been like, I mean, yeah, there's criminals in the streets, but we're trying our best. But he knows. He's like, I'm trying my best. I don't know about anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm trying, but I'm only one man. So use your money. Do what you got to do. Right. So this first season sort of sees... so. Let's talk about Fish Mooney for a minute. Fish Mooney is a character that they made up, mm-hmm. played by Jada Pinkett Smith. And Fish Mooney's whole sort of thing is, is that she is the queen pin of the Gotham underworld as it is right now. But she has, a, but she is um, tutoring. That's wrong. Uh, tutoring has her, but uh, but. 
penguin is under her tutelage, right? Um, and the whole thing is, is that uh, Penguin is sort of uh, somebody in her organization, very low in her organization, that that rises to the top and then eventually overtakes her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she was so busy trying to take over Carmine Falcone's uh, empire, because it's his, and she's under him. That she didn't see that someone was trying to usurp her own position. Right. And also Cobblepot in all iterations is one of the smartest villains in the Batman franchise. Right. And that was one thing that I think I missed from or that I thought the show had had it had a clearer direction, I think could have been really interesting. Um, is to sort of really put that cunning that cunning on display uh put penguins cunning and then also fish moonies honestly by association would have to be just as cunning to um because it doesn't make sense that he's so he usurps her so quickly to me Mm -hmm. i would think she would have more paranoia about something like that uh Mm -hmm. in more paranoia about the people she takes under her wing. Um, Cause she definitely gives like abusive uh, mind manipulation, mommy vibes. Right. But she's definitely one of those people that thinks that they're the smartest person in the room and they'll never be played. Right. That's true. It's, it's kind of their relationship reminds me of all about Eve. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I love it. Um, so there's that. And Jessica and and you know Jada not Jessica Jada Jada is is fun I think in this role. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think she is fun in this role as well, and it's interesting because when she when she talked about this role, she's like, "Listen, I signed on for one season. I didn't know the character would be this popular, but if the people want me back, we need to give the people what they want." I think this was a huge boost for her because, to my knowledge, Jada hadn't worked on a show since A Different World. Um, and she'd done several movies between these two series, but um, this is the movie that most millennials and pretty much all Gen Z know her from. They know her from this show. Yeah, I was about to say, this was her big, this wasn't her big return to TV because she had been on that show on TNT with Michael Barton. That wasn't that well received. Um, Hawthorne. That's what it was called. Okay, so this was her big return then if Hawthorne kind of bombed. <laughs> yeah, I guess this is like her it. second. This is her second big return to television post right. Hawthorne. So yeah, it's kind of a big deal. And I'm glad that the Fish Mooney character was well received, especially since, like we said, this is a character that did not exist um, until Bruno Heller developed that character. Um, and I think she plays the character well. Um there's a sort of edge, a sort of sharpness to her. Um, one of those people that, you know, looks like they will just as soon smile in your face as they will slit your throat. Um, right. That that works well with the Fish Mooney character. Like I said, when I take the characters on this show into consideration as a... Uh, as they're being portrayed, especially when they're on screen alone or with one other person, they're well portrayed. It's just the pieces don't always fit together. Yeah, the pieces... Yeah, like, listen, I do think in terms of the characters where they sort of had to start from scratch, I do think those characters are strong. But like you said, like, when it when they all sort of brought together, it just doesn't fit. And I think that is, um, it's just, I, I think it just is what it is. Uh, so this first season is mostly just us getting to sort of know these characters, these villains, and it's Jim trying to do all this work, trying to clean up the, the department, failing. Um, His fiance getting kidnapped. Right, his fiance um, well, she gets, gets kidnapped. kidnapped after their breakup, but like he's he's really put through the ringer. He is. They give him. He's really like he's going through it 
and and um the season ends with and then we have like a rogues gallery of, of villains who are just kind of coming through from from fit beyond a uh, fish moon and cobble pot and the season ends with jim and his partner um looking into investigating and then defeating another one of these sort of rogue gallery persons and we are introduced to the character that will become the Riddler. Right, right. Um, there's so much going on there. And of course, there's like in the finale, the season finale, a mob war bro- breaks out between Carmine Falcone and Maroni because Gotham has no shortage of criminals and criminal entities. Um then we also find out that um, the the Riddler makes an appearance by the end, and we also find out that um, during therapy that Jim's ex fiance killed her parents. Um, so like he was with he was in a relationship with a literal murderer this entire time and didn't know it. Um, there's a lot going on in Gotham. And one of the things that I like about the season finale and the first season in general is it makes it very clear that Jim Gordon is the only person you can trust. His uh, colleagues, even his partner, all these other people that you see, no matter what is presented to you about them, don't necessarily think that they're good people. Most of them are living in the gray and in the darkest shades of gray. Right. And they're all, they all have, they, his people have like a competing, they all have competing interests. Um, Jim all is of them. all of them. And Jim is the only one that really has a sort of, um, moral uprightitude and moral of like, no, like this is how we should do these things. And this is how, uh, they should be. And then that is, that's season one. So season one, um, good, bad, or basic. I'm going to give season one a good. I think they did a lot. um, And a lot of it was good with the 22 episodes that they were given. There are, there are edits that I would have made here or there. We've discussed most of them, but for the most part, I thought season one was a really good valiant effort. What about you? Um, I'm going to give it a solid basic. Uh, I get why obviously people love Batman. So like, it's that's not the thing. Like you're always going to get a hit with like Batman with the Batman property. And, and if not a hit, like you, I think you can guarantee like eyeballs. Um, but to me, there was too many issues with regards to this tone and, and nailing it down. Um, even the strong parts, which I feel were like, are mostly the performances. Like this writing is super banana bonkers to me, by the way. Um, the writing is all over the place. Holy hell. Holy shit. It's all over the place. And I it thought is... that was just me and season one being slow. That's why I gave season one a good. I thought that once now that I've got I've met everybody, I'm gonna understand everything now. <laughs> nope. Wrong. Fail. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong. Um, yeah, the writing is all over the place and it's banana nut bonkers and it and if you're waiting for it to make sense, don't because it never does through the entire run of the series. Um, it's just doing, I don't even know what, like it's just doing it honestly <laughs> at this point. And this is why I say like, there are just so many, I think there were just too many cooks in the kitchen when it came to the series because of, because it is a Batman property because for the writing um, to be this disjointed is kind on a network show of all shows, um, and a network show that has a prime time spot just doesn't make sense to me. I really feel like sometimes when some people write about some characters, they start slacking because they know the character is so popular that they can rest on their laurels. I'm not naming any names. I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm just saying I've seen it. And I mean, listen, you're not wrong because I feel like that can also be applied to all of the Batman movies post Christopher Nolan. I you Ooh. can level that. Listen, but, I'm just like, saying the accuracy though. 
<laughs> like they're all average shit. Like they're and not even I wouldn't say those movies are average post Christopher. I would say they are below average movies. I Some haven't of, watched the Batman movie post Christian Bale, and I don't want to. And you don't need to. It's not necessary. And because basically, like, Nolan came and just made all these bitches his sons. And then everybody afterward was like, oh, I'm going to. And I think every person afterward has gone into a Batman property, whether that's film or television, with the thought of, like, oh, I'm going to top Christopher Nolan. I'm going to be the best. And, like, only, and then only sit, come out here and make themselves look foolish. Baby, if you're trying to top Christopher Nolan, then uh, just make a remake of Tenant because anything you do will be better. Otherwise, uh, otherwise, <laughs> because when he when Christopher Nolan makes a movie, baby, he makes a movie. Listen, Jonathan and Chris do not slack. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> they do not. And if Christian Bale's your leading man, that's gonna be a hit. Period. Um, you you lost the magic formula. Like, I know Johnny Depp and Tim Burton thought that they were the magical duo. No, Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale are the dynamic duo. They are. They are. They are the ones. They've they've done together is tops. It's tops. And um, that's just the way it is. And that's no fault on it. It's It's just how it be. So, so let's talk about season two. Season two also had 22 episodes. This this first season was an audience favorite. People loved it. Again, sometimes I think the character is more popular than the actual series. But I'm not going to name any names or point any fingers. Let's talk about it. Um, all the characters that we love come back. And uh, we get it. We meet a few people. We meet a few other people. Like the Two Face character makes an appearance this season, I believe. Um, the season opens with James Gordon being fired, and his partner subsequently resigns. Now, Harvey is an interesting character because he's morally gray, but he understands that he is. He also understands that in the time that he worked with James. Um, James was more or less his conscience and then he can't really do this job without a partner like that, or he doesn't want to. Right. You know, he, Harvey, Harvey's character is somebody I really respect because I, I think I wish more people in life would be like Harvey. It's a self-awareness for me. You say it's a self-awareness. It's also this idea of like, I know that I'm not going to stick my neck out to make things better but i'm also not gonna get in other people's way who genuinely are right right like he knows his strengths and his weaknesses and a lot of people can't say that especially people in positions of power with guns yeah yeah and i i would say that's one of the main reasons why i liked harvey was that like he was like like you said he's morally gray he's just kind of gonna do whatever but also harvey's gonna be like if harvey sees somebody who is really trying to do the right thing or has a more has a has more moral fortitude than he does he's like well what can i do to help or like i'm not or i'm not going to stand in your way like go go right. and do it go get it go be that and i really love donalog as in this character portrayal now as i said earlier most people most older millennials remember him from the fox comedy grounded for life but after that, he made his foray into darker, more dramatic themes. Like, he had an appearance as that um, FBI agent on Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. The one who was trying to get uh, Otto to turn on the club. Yep. Um, and he plays darker roles very, very well. And that's why when I saw him as a Harvey character initially, I was like, this really could go either way. And I really like it. I like the sort of intrigue of this character and the chemistry that he and Ben have on screen as partners. Um, so, you see, we're not we're not completely dragging the show, you guys. There are highlights. <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there, are, there are linings. There, there are bright spots. 
there are bright spots here and there and like i said uh we later uh we get into some more people you know um jerome valeska plays a huge part in this opener and for most of the first season um jeremiah valeska as well cameron modigan is a powerhouse of an actor and anyone who's watched Shameless, which was the first show he was cast on, I think he was cast on that show when he was like 13 or 14, knows this. And he was actually doing these shows simultaneously. He's about that paycheck. And he's probably one of the more talented actors of his generation. And this was probably one of the harder characters, well, two of the harder characters to play. Definitely, definitely, I can see that. Um... So again, I'm not hating on the way these characters are. Maybe not even how they're written. Maybe the real problem is lies in the dialogue. <laughs> the dialogue is like very stilted and um, hard to get through, but alas. It is, because it's kind of like, it almost feels like five people enter a room. Now what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 really, really weird. Um um, this season, like, yeah, I feel this, like, oh, oh, I was, was going to say this. The in that initial episode in the old season two opener, Bruce and Alfred discover a secret room um, at the end of a staircase. Like, boy, you was living in a mansion. Of course, there are secret rooms, <laughs> right? And it's it's implied that he discovers the quote unquote Bat Cave. But girl, like I said, why do I care about these kids? <laughs> and honestly, I feel like if you if your family's wealthy. And they don't have a secret room. Your family's not wealthy. They're just rich. I love that the de- the determining factor between wealth and just being uh, comfortable is secret, super secret rooms and passageways. I I, I fuck with that actually. Because old money becomes paranoid money, and they always got a secret room. <laughs> oh my god! And it's always off the wine cellar, the study, or the library. <laughs> funny, 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 funny. Um, so season two. So season two, like you said, it's Jim really once again working hard to clean up the corruption, uh, in the corrupt forces within GCPD, and he thinks he has an ally in that when. Michael Chiklis from The Shield shows up. Yeah. So Michael Chiklis, gosh, I, I'm forgetting the name of the character he plays because there's so many characters. Same. Um, Michael Chiklis, Michael Chiklis, Michael Chiklis. Uh, he plays Nathaniel Barnes. He's the new captain of the GCPD. And he's like, I'm going to clean this up. And then corruption... That's a red flag right there. Because the person who actually shows up to clean up corruption doesn't announce that. They already, if you really believe there's corruption in a department, you're not going to announce something like that because you're going to be aware that the people you are you plan on cleaning up and taking out are in the room. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's true. Um, the, he, he, he basically, that's a coded way of saying, dirty cops, you got a friend in me. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that is. It's all that is, he cannot convince me otherwise. But he shows up and he's like, yeah, baby, I got this. Now, mind you, there was a captain before him. Um, or no, she, I think she's going to be after him. Um, but he's one of those people that definitely is like, I'm about to take control and take power. This character is honestly not unlike the Vic Mackey character from The Shield. <laughs> that's very true that's a good observation i'm glad you brought that up because that's definitely something that i thought and went through my mind like he's vic Mackey with more power period because vic was never captain he was never considered for captain everybody knew that he was corrupt um they just it, they just had a hard time proving it right but right. like so he never got to this level that's the real difference here <laughs> That's true, and I don't know if y'all know, but but I also had a had a stint with uh, my mom was too cheap to get lotion, so we we just got conditioner and bathed and rubbed ourselves with that. <laughs> Girl, <laughs> we, we we suffered, we suffered. Um, 
You went through it too. Okay. We did. We went. We went through it. Um. Also, we get more of the kids this season, which is annoying. Whatever. Nobody cares about those kids. Yeah, I'm tired. It's it was giving me very, you know, that Michael Jordan meme. You know that meme. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I'm sorry, but I do not care. And if you want me to care about the kids, you need to center the Bruce Wayne character as our real protagonist. Right, and that's another thing that I feel will be that that becomes more apparent as the series goes on is that young Bruce Wayne and, and Jim Gordon eventually are like essentially fighting out for who's the lead of this show. Because once again, the show cannot decide who the lead is, really. And I'm like, why is this really hard? Give us Jim Gordon as a lead, because we've never had him as a lead before. And we've heard Bruce Wayne's origin story ad nauseum. This is not hard. And we actually don't care about teenage Bruce Wayne. Nobody ever did. Nobody (laughs) ever did. We Dude, why is this a hard decision, bro? Like, why? Anyway, um, it's like, hey, let's throw Bruce Wayne and remind people that this is a Batman show. But I'm like, we have all the Batman villains. We know what we're watching. Right. We know the outcome. We know how this is going to end. Like, it's very weird. It is very weird. It's very weird. Um, But yeah, so Captain Barnes puts together a task force, like an elite task force, to stop out the corruption. Now, you guys remember on The Shield... Vic Mackey and his four besties, or his three besties, they were part of a task force. The four of them, right? Right. They were the strike force. (laughs) They were the most corrupt of all. And I love how the episode, uh, there is an episode in, and it's one of his episodes, it's called Strike Force in season two. (laughs) Yeah, it's episode four. It's called Strike Force. And I'm like, the irony of this is really killing me. Um... Obviously, it was never about that, and we learned pretty pretty soon as the season continues that um, Captain Barnes is loyal to wherever the money resides. Yeah. That's where he's going. That's where his loyalty is. Again, not unlike the Vic Mackey character. This was probably some of the best casting on the show because, like, yeah. <laughs> excuse me. No, that's oh, fine. I've been waiting for that belt to come off for an hour. Like I'm so, so happy you got it. It's like it happened. Jesus. Um, yeah. Um, I'm really, really happy at Michael Chiklis' casting for this particular character because it's like, y'all read his resume. You know he can do this. <laughs> um, and so when he puts the strike force together, he decides to target Oswald Cobblepot. This move seems good on its face, but like we said, and like everybody knows, Oswald Cobblepot is not top dog yet. He's below Fish Mooney, who's below Carmine Falcone. Right. And so targeting like a low-level player like that is a good way to make it look like you're doing something without actually doing something. That's true. It's very true. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that continues. Um, the, I want to say too, before we go any further, the guest stars on this character, I don't even know how they pay these people. Because all of your faves are going to show up. Yeah, there are a lot of great sort of TV actors and faves on, on this show. They really took it to that level. Um... But uh, as the season progresses, I think this is the season where Butch is, like, mind-controlled and becomes under Oswald's control. Yeah. That happens. Edward Nigma, the Riddler, plays a huge... has, like, a huge... a, a bigger role this season. Um, and in the series closing, I believe... No, midway through the season... Uh, Commissioner Gordon is basically kidnapped and um, he uh, wakes up at Edward Edward Nygma's house and he learns that he is a fugitive. They always get the wrong ones. (laughs) They do. Um, And the season ends, season two ends with um, Cobblepot uh, getting some like getting some intricate plan over on Fish Mooney 
uh, so that he can finally have her. It is, essentially, he does something that gets her locked up in an Arkham Asylum. Yeah, so I am glad that the show kept Arkham Asylum as like a, a staple. So Arkham Asylum is like the psychiatric facility where a lot of uh, the villains of the Batman universe end up going, either pre or post or in lieu of incarceration at a federal prison, because a lot of them have serious mental health issues. And this is probably the only comic franchise that acknowledges that the villains are like mentally unwell (laughs) and not just like really fucked up innately, right? Right. But Arkham Asylum is really not that much better than an actual prison. There's a lot of corruption there as well. And a lot of the medical assistance isn't very beneficial yeah definitely absolutely i agree with all of that um so like we said fish Mooney gets locked up and then uh in the psychiatric facility and then we meet lucius fox and the riddler as well in the end of this second season uh but our our season ends with one of with Penguin thinking um, Fish Mooney is dead or, or finally taken care of, only for him to discover that she is alive and well and ready to kick his ass. Um, season... Uh, you do not wound your enemy. You gotta you gotta shoot to kill, babe. <laughs> yeah, listen, if you come up for the queen, you can't miss. Um, and that's our season... Two. Season two, good, bad, or basic. I'm going to give season two a good as well. I will say I thought that season two was better than season one. I'll give it that. I agree. Season two is better than season one. I think there is a more, not by much, but the things that were really, really out of control in season one, I think they fix in season two. I think season two is a more focused season. Like, season one, they were just like, okay, we're we're going to do anything. Whereas season two felt like, no, we are a crime drama. There will be crime. Ben McKenzie should solve those crimes. And then Ben McKenzie should comfort the victims. Like, it felt much better. Yeah. Um, I thought that uh, season two had more focus. That's what made it better. It had more focus, and I think it had more structure. And I think it's like, you have all these villains, but you don't even need to use all of them at once. It's okay. You really don't. Yeah. That was (laughs) another thing. I felt like they were so anxious to, like, be like, do you remember, do you recognize this person? Do you recognize this person? Do you recognize this person? It's like, I just... Season two, season one felt like a high school reunion. Remember him, you guys? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, let me, let me chill, Gotham. I just got here. Thanks. I'll, I'll, I'll get a punch soon. Um... And yeah, but season two, or perhaps season three, um, I'm not sure, were my favorite seasons of Gotham. I'm going to say that off-rip. I don't think it gets better from there. Neither neither do I. Um, and then that's something we will... And so then next time we will we will pick up at season three and mm-hmm. and get into the the crazy of it all. Um, and there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the first half of Gotham good, bad, basic, and criminally good. If you'd like to check out the series, Gotham is currently streaming on Netflix. If you've enjoyed the good, the bad, the basic, be sure to share it with your friends. If you're a patron, be sure to check out our Gotham playlist filled with all the music that helped make this series great. Tune in next week as we keep this season going with the back half of this audience favorite. You don't want to miss out on this conversation. The Good, the Bad, the Basic is currently streaming on all major podcast platforms, so be sure to tune into our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. You can find us at the Good Bad Basic on Twitter and at Good Bad Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic, where all of our weekly episodes debut. 
If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron over on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time, bye everyone.